1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. The title of the message. Oh. You can hear me again? Good. Just the right time. That's because God didn't want his word proclaimed. Amen. We, we're doing a one week off this weekend because it being a holiday weekend. So we'll be back in Colossians next week. But this week, doing something special that I wanted to prepare us as a church to go through the holiday season. It can be a very discouraging time. A lot of depression takes place during the, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I felt like God wanted me to share a message on how to deal with or de- how to defeat discouragement. And so we're going to look at the life of Elijah. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He is a, a guy that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and three of his disciples, along with Moses. We know he's probably going to be coming back again in the book of Revelation, one of the witnesses. So he's this awesome guy. And in chapter 18, you're, you should be in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. In chapter 18, he had one of the great victories in the Bible. They... they uh, he was able to call fire down and consume on the altar, what was there on the altar. And the prophets of Baal, the false god, they tried their hardest to get their god to do something, but their god had no power. And Elijah had told the people of Israel, if God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, then you serve him. And God showed up and showed exactly who and at that moment, all these false prophets, there was 450 of them of Baal, they turned on them and they killed them because they were false. They were leading the people astray. So Elijah had this great victory. He's so excited, he runs all the way to Jezreel, which was the capital of Israel at the time. King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel were there. And uh, so he's like thinking everything's going to go so great because this miracle that took place. He ran. He, he ran faster than Ahab with his chariot. That's at the very end of 18. By the way, do you, know what, do you know what you get when you run behind a car? Exhausted. Some of you are going to take a little bit to think that one through. So let's turn now. Well, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. See, Ahab was there on Mount Carmel, or Carmel, and and Jezebel wasn't. It's interesting because just two months ago, I was teaching on Mount Carmel with the uh, group that we went to Israel. It's one of the sites that we teach at. It's a beautiful area. You can see the Valley of Jezreel down below. This is the place where this took place. So he runs, he goes all the way, he's excited, but in verse 1, you see Ahab had told his wife everything that Elijah had done, how he killed the prophets with a sword. Verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, look at that little g, okay, she was in all kind of false gods, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like one of them. So in other words, she put a contract out on his life. It wasn't just a threat. It was like, I'm going to kill you because you killed all my false god prophets. All these 450 prophets that were were killed in in chapter 18. Now, I'm coming after you. Now, can you imagine what what had gone through uh, Elijah's mind? He's so excited after this big victory. He runs all the way to Jezreel. He's thinking there's going to be a revival breakout. And now all of a sudden, this woman puts a contract on his life, and you're going to see that he's going to be running in fear here in a moment. So here's our first thing. I've got eight things I'm going to share with you today, things that we can use in our own lives, not just for Elijah. How can we defeat discouragement? How can we deal with it? So here's the first one. Number one is we need realistic expectations. We need realistic expectations. Obviously, Elijah thought, oh, this is going to be great. But now all of a sudden, it didn't happen the way he thought. Doesn't that happen with us sometimes? We think one thing, 
And maybe it's an unmet expectation. Maybe it's unrealistic. But here's what I know Jesus told us. He told us in John 16, in this world, we will have trouble. We need to adjust our expectations. We still live on an earth where people die early, suffer from diseases, lose financially, get hurt by people, have all kinds of bad things happen. We still live on an earth that's cursed because of sin. There's still consequences of our sin and the sin of others. So if we're looking for paradise, we have to wait till we get to heaven. We have to adjust our expectations. There will be problems that happen. There, we are only one phone call or one email or one text message away from bad things happening and coming to us and, ex, uh, and so forth. So this is an important thing for us is to adjust our expectations. Now, I want to share something with you that is a, probably a bit controversial in church world. And just listen to me for a moment. I'm, we're going to be talking about discouragement. We're going to talk about depression. And we're going to talk about defeat, the three Ds. I'm going to be talking about spiritual depression. But there is something that's a biological, a physical depression. I'm not going to be talking so much about that one today. There is a place for people to need medication to help them with biological, the physical depression. But here's what my experience has been in, 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 the, in the church world, in, that Christians oftentimes are, become very negative towards people who need medication for depression. And I, I think it's terrible that people do that. There are, we have our bodies that are imperfect because of this earth, okay? And we have chemical imbalances that take place in our body. For example, me, my body produces too much cholesterol. So over 20 years, I've been on cholesterol medication, brings me now down into a low range, and, I, and I'm perfectly fine. There are some of you that are diabetic, and you need insulin. Now, you would never go up to a diabetic and say, what's the matter with you? Are you weak? You need to get off of that insulin. But yet people do that with people who are on depression medication, anxiety medication. Don't do that. Now, I'm going to swing the pendulum to the other side, though. Oftentimes, when people get down and discouraged and depressed, they're really quick to want to take a pill to fix it. And sometimes it might not be a physical, biological issue. It might be a spiritual issue. Now, we're going to be talking about the spiritual side of things, but let's not mask over the spiritual by just quickly running to a pill. Am I, are you all tracking with me so far? So this is, in my role here for over 20 years as a counselor, I've seen many times where people are just so quick to run and they're looking for a quick fix. When you become depressed, it's like a warning light going off on your dash saying there's something that's wrong. And we need to look at that warning light and step back and say, what is potentially wrong here? Is there something that I need to change? Is there something going on in my body? What might be the problem? And if you know that you're spiritually not where you're supposed to be, that's the first place to start. So we should always start with the, the spiritual. And if we rule out that there's nothing spiritually going on, maybe it is a biological. So I just wanted to share that up front because this is uh, something as we move into the story. Um, I, just, I just wanted to, to share that. Uh, when I think about unrealistic expectations, I think about also our move to Florida. When we were living in Iowa, I couldn't, shouldn't say this too much, I couldn't wait to get out of there. It was cold, it was brown, all seven months of the year, nothing green, it was, the wind was a howling around, and it was like, man, Florida seems so nice. And I, I got this in my, for a couple years, really praying about God to open a door, and I, I kept thinking, I said, and Barb wasn't this way, but I was, I was like, man, if I could just move to Florida... If I could have a swimming pool, oh, that sounds nice. Nobody had swimming pools in Iowa. You would never get to use them. And if I could live on a little lake, I could go fishing, see that water. You know what? In God's grace, when we moved to Florida, we got a home with a swimming pool and on a little lake. But within one week, I was down and depressed. You know why? Because I kept thinking, if I only have these, if I only have these, then I'm going to be... I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be fulfilled. And God gave it to me, 
and I didn't feel any different. The reason is because it was a spiritual thing going on. It will, sometimes some of you are thinking, if, if only I was married. Others of you are thinking, if only I wasn't married. <laughs> some of you are thinking, if only I'd moved to the mountains. There's people in the mountains thinking, if only I could move to the beach. You know, and it's like, if we're only looking at these things as our fixes, we will miss what God might be wanting to do in our hearts. So we have to adjust our expectations. We have to be very clear about what is, what is the real source of our encouragement. It's got to be the Lord. It can't be about the things around us. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid. Remember, he just got this threat on him. He was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So here's this mighty man of God, this prophet, Elijah. In chapter 18, he was so full of faith. He was taken on. He had all these enemies around him, these prophets of Baal. And now because of one threatening woman, he's on a run. He's leaving. He's going to Beersheba. And now he's about ready to make another mistake. And that is, he left his servant there. And he's going to keep on going without his, his servant. This brings us to our second point. Don't isolate from strong believers. This is a tool that the enemy will do for us when we get down, when we get discouraged, when we get depressed, we want to withdraw from other believers. And that's not a good place for us to be at. I've seen it over and over again. Somebody's in a small group, for example, and all of a sudden some bad things happen in their life, and now they never come anymore. What what happened? What what happened to so-and-so? And they just want to pull back and withdraw. Do you know that that's the enemy putting that in you? The enemy because when we isolate ourselves, we are easy prey for the enemy. Because when we're around other believers, when we start to talk and we share, like, I'm going through this struggle and I'm not feeling good about this, we have other people can gather around us, pray for us, encourage us, help us through these tough times. Look at the passage on the scripture from Ecclesiastes. It says it more clear than I, I could. It says this, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man, or you could say woman, who falls and has no one to help them up. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for what? Adversity. People, we need people, especially in adversity, when bad things happen. But the natural tendency is to isolate ourselves from people. Don't do that. Get around people. It's, it's another reason why we, we're always telling people we've got to be in groups. We've got to be around other believers. And it's not just around people. It's around people who are going to speak faith into you, pray for you, encourage you in the Lord. Barb and I have been married for a little over 40 years. And in that 40-year period, I can rarely think of a time where both of us are, are down, so discouraged and depressed at the same time. Because what happens is when one of us is down, the other one is there to help speak words of life, to pray, to encourage. And we're not there very long because we have that person in our life to help us back. Sometimes it's me, the encourager. Sometimes it's her, the encourager. And I can just tell you, in my role as a pastor and the dealing with a lot of different issues and people, there can be a lot of things I could be discouraged about at times. So I need people praying. The other pastors need that as well because it can be kind of tough. You know what? Nobody ever comes to the church to tell us all the great stuff going on. It's always like, I got this issue. I got this problem. Can you help me this way? And, and, it's like, and sometimes it can, it can become heavy on us. So we need people in our lives to lift us up, encourage us. So don't isolate yourself. You see, that's what Elijah did. So verse 4. It says, while he himself. So he'd left his servant there. And if you look, that servant was really helpful to him in chapter 18. But verse 4, he says, while he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. 
He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now you see the, uh, the depth of how Elijah had gone from being discouraged to now he's depressed and he's feeling very defeated here at this moment. Doesn't even want to live. Now, there's some things that you see. First of all, what we've read so far with this bad news from Jezebel. Do you see Elijah praying prior to this? Did he, did he say, Lord, please deal with Jezebel? Take care of this threat? Do you see him standing firm? You see him running in fear. And so now all of a sudden he's praying. First time we see him praying here, now he's praying, Lord, just take my life. I don't even want to live anymore. That's the despair that he'd gotten to. But he, he makes another important thing that I think we is look at the end of verse 4. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, why would he say that? I'm no better than my ancestors. Obviously, maybe he felt that he had something to prove. He was comparing himself to his ancestors of some sort and so forth. And so this really brings us up to our third point. Run your race, in other words, your, your race in life, without comparing yourself to others. We have to be very careful that we don't compare ourselves with others. Otherwise, that can be a form of discouragement. See, every one of us have a race to run, and we're not running against each other. The Apostle Paul said, I run my race. He doesn't race against others. He knew what was, that was marked out for him, it says in Scripture. I'll give you an example of this in my own life. I remember the first time I ever went to a pastor's conference. I, I wasn't even a pastor yet. It was at the beginning of 2002. I got invited, went up to Merritt Island to pastor's conference. I came home after the first day, and I was so discouraged. I felt so down. I thought, these mighty men of God, they're up there teaching. They're bringing the Word of God. They're such great communicators, such expositors of the Scripture. Who am I to ever think I could be a pastor? I was like, there's no way. I was like, because I was comparing myself to them. Sometimes I can still fall victim of this. I, I watch some incredible you know, video of a pastor teaching or you know, listen to this podcast. I think, wow, that's incredible. And I think, who am I? Why do I get to get up in front of a group of people and speak? But that's what sometimes the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to compare ourselves with others. You know, you know what the enemy does? He always has us compare ourselves with people better than us because he's trying to discourage us. And you look at Elijah, I'm no better than my ancestors. I don't know why he had his eyes on his ancestors anyway. He was an incredible prophet. He was an incredible role that God had for him. And each and every one of us have a role that God has been given to us. But you see him here, you see him wanting to quit. Give up. Now, what are some wrong reasons to quit? If you look on the screen, you'll see these are some wrong reasons to quit. That people do it all the time. I've done it. There's times I still want to do it. But let me tell you, I think the longer I'm in, you know, walking with the Lord, the quicker I move from the discouragement stage back to the courage um, stage. But one of them is not feeling appreciated. Well, nobody's thanked me. You know, if you're serving the Lord, if you're doing, if your life is, you surrendered your life and you're a servant, then who are you serving? You're serving the Lord. It's not up for you to get the accolades of people. It's up for you to just say, I'm just doing this unto the Lord. I'm just a servant. So sometimes people are looking for that appreciation and they don't get it and so they quit. Here's a big one. Someone hurt me or the words of a critic. I've heard, I've heard a pastor said before, you just have to outlast your critics. So if you're at work right now and you have a critic, somebody's always, you know, saying negative stuff about you, you're, you're critical, you just outlast them. Eventually they'll move on and leave. So, so don't quit for that reason. By the way, someone hurt me. That's a big thing. Here's what I know. We will all hurt someone at some point in time, and we will all be hurt by someone at some time. Am I right? We're people. We're imperfect. We will make mistakes. And sometimes we just have to be more full of grace to forgive others, let it go. Hey, they're imperfect. I probably do the same thing. 
but sometimes we get extra sensitive and then we get so hurt that we're just really ready to throw in the towel. Now, here's another big one, running on empty. I think this was kind of what was going on with Elijah here. He, maybe he was spiritually dry. He was running. He was giving, giving, giving. But maybe God was, he wasn't staying like where God was pouring back into him. In our own lives, we have to maintain our time with God, with prayer, with worship, by being in the word, be filled back up. If you give and you're serving and you're not receiving back from the Lord, eventually you're going to burn out. You can either burn like being on fire or you can burn out. And I know one thing is if we continue to stay full of the Holy Spirit, we won't burn out. And the last one here is impatience. Sometimes people, they just quit too soon. There's a, they're close to a breakthrough. God's ready to, ready to do something, but uh, it's not happening fast enough. I know one thing of walking with the Lord for many years is God usually takes longer than I think he should. Does he do that in your life too? Yeah. Why do you suppose he's doing that? Because he never wants to be a genie in the bottle for us. Like we just do it this way and instantly we have our results. He wants us to be dependent on him, which means growing in faith, which means things take time. Let's keep going. Verse 5. It says, Elijah then, he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him. You used to remember that old story, touched by an angel? Here's where it came from here. The angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Some of your translations say it was a cake. That's the original angel food cake (laughs) right here. And he ate and he drank, and then he lied down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I I love this picture. You don't see the angel like, come on, man, what's the matter with you? You're supposed to be this prophet. What are you doing here? You don't see God ever condemning Elijah here, do you? You see him meeting a basic need. He's on his way, and now he says he's going to go to Horeb. You also know that there's another name for that mountain, Mount Sinai. It's where Moses met with God. And so obviously he's going there, and it should not have taken 40 days. Most of the the research I did said it should have been about a 10-day journey. So he's either meandering, he's taking his time, he's worn out, he's tired, but he's going to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. But what do you see the angel doing here? He knows physically he's drained, Elijah's drained. So he's given him basic needs. You need some rest? sleep. You need some food. You need some water. Which brings us to our next point. Number four is that we need to take care of our body. We need rest. We need healthy eating. And we need exercise. Now, I know this isn't popular to talk about on the week of Thanksgiving. (laughs) But it's so true. God designed our body, didn't he? And he he designed it that we needed food and water. We need to exercise. And you might say, well, I don't see a whole lot of exercise in the Bible. Do you realize they cut all their wood? They had to go out and gather their own food. They walked everywhere. You know, there was no need for L.A. Fitness with the disciples. (laughs) They were constantly exercising. Up until 100 years Our population was always doing exercise. I just got back a week ago from Guatemala. Do you know those people still go out and cut wood, carry wood? They're cooking over fires. Most of them do not have vehicles or walking places. And you see their bodies are staying in shape. We live in a day and age where we don't need to do that. And then we also live in a day and age where we have all the instant foods, the processed foods. Some of it tastes mighty good, I know. 
And it's okay to maybe splurge here and there and di- different stuff. But God's the one who designed our body. He wants us to get rest. He wants us to eat healthy. And he wants us to, to be exercise. I'm not saying you have to go to a gym. Just going for daily walks. It's like this. If you have your car and you never change the oil, you don't keep air in the tires, eventually, you don't keep antifreeze in the, in the coolant system, eventually your vehicle's not going to work. It's going to shut down. It's not going to be proper because you're not properly maintaining it. And sometimes some of the things that we deal with in our body is because we haven't been taking care of our body. It's so much easier to run to the Lord and say, please heal me, than it is to make lifestyle changes. Am I right? Now, I'll give you a confession. For many years, my early years when I was in the business world, I was exercising regularly, but my motive was wrong. I just wanted to look good. Once you get past your 40s, you give up on that. <laughs> now I just want to live, okay? <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I'm, my motive isn't to try to look good. I just want to feel good, okay? And so for me, exercise and eating healthy, where I struggle the, probably the most is on the rest. I got to force myself to take time off. Do you know in the scripture, God gave us a Sabbath? And this is where a lot of you are probably a bit confused, but you go back and you check in the Old Testament. When God gave us a Sabbath, most people think that he gave us as a day of worship. That's not why he gave us a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. We're actually to worship every day. Somehow then the, the people turned it into, well, this is our day to worship. No, it was a day to rest. He wants us to take time off, to rest our minds, rest our bodies. We should be getting sleep. We need to take a break. And so for us, we need to take care of our bodies because if we don't, some of our uh, issues related to discouragement and depression can be because we're not, we're abusing our bodies. You know, Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Lord wants to give us rest today. And I know this is going to be a challenge because we're coming into an extra busy season, right? That period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas for a lot of you is an extra busy time. But make sure you take time. The other thing, too, that happens is if you're in a job where you have stress, and by the way, if you're a mom with little kids running around the house, you have a job with stress, right? The more stress you have in your job, the more important it is to exercise, I can't stress this enough, and I'm no medical doctor, but I've, I've talked to many about them. I've studied this, because when you're stressed, your body will produce chemicals, cortisol, adrenaline, and it's that fight or flight response, and it's ready to, like, for whatever t- t- you're supposed to handle in that stress, but if you don't burn it up, it starts to attack your own organs. You start to feel lousy. You start to feel agitated, maybe angry. This is why it's so good. When you exercise, it's like your body can burn up those chemicals and use those. So if it's all stress and no physical activity, that's going to have a negative effect on your body. Do the research. You'll find out. So again, God's the one who's designed us. Take care of our body. We are to be a good steward of what God has given to us. Have I stepped on enough toes so far? Why do I share that? Because I love every one of you as a church. I want you guys to be, I want you to have the best life possible, okay? And again, God is the one who's given our bodies as a gift. Let's not neglect that gift, amen? Let's keep going, verse 9. So we see he went to Mount Horeb. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love it when God asks us a question? What are you doing here? He might be asking some of you that question right now. What are you doing here? Do you know when God asks a question, it's not because he, do, he doesn't know the answer? 
He's, he's asking a question because he wants us to be thinking through the response. What are we going to tell God? So he says here, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I, the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Ooh. First of all, a huge exaggeration. In chapter 18, verse 13, there's a, there's a scripture about a man named Obadiah. It's not the prophet Obadiah. He was a servant of King Ahab, but he was a follower of Yahweh. And because there was a threat on the prophets of God, he went and hid a hundred prophets of God. He put 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave to protect them because there was a contract out on their lives. And Obadiah, in, in that verse 13, told Elijah that. So he knew that he wasn't the only one left, but he seemed to have forgotten that. And so that's what can happen when we get so down and so discouraged that we, we begin to exaggerate things. Everything becomes bigger. Well, this leads us to our next point. Number five is keep faith-filled thoughts. We need to keep our minds on things, on what the Lord is saying. We need to be filled with faith, not fear. You know, what Elijah, he needed to shift from, from the fear of the future to faith in what God had already done in his past and would continue to do. And so this is why it's so important that we stay full of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as we're in the Bible, we're reading these stories, and our faith is rising up. If you're not in the Bible, let me tell you, the longer you go by not being in the Bible, the harder it's going to be to be full of faith. Because when I read these scriptures and these stories, here's what I'm reminded of. God's no respecter of persons, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he will do this for this person, why wouldn't he do it for me? If he's a miracle-working God, if he, if he can provide in this way, why wouldn't he do it again? And it just allows that faith to rise up. So it's also important to be around people that will speak faith and pray for you and so forth. But again, here he is. He's in a cave. He's in that cold, dark, damp cave. God's saying to him, what are you doing here? Let's keep verse, reading verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So he, God's calling him out of the cave into his presence. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. By the way, that's the, the original earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> I know that band's been around a long time, way back then. Some of you younger people don't know. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know this until I taught it last night. My wife said, oh, I used to love that band. <laughs> and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when, the, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, we, we live in a day and age where we, we're into the spectacular. We're looking for the next big great thing. You know, what, you know when I was studying this, what God was showing me? Don't be looking for the next big great thing. Don't be looking for the spectacular. Don't be even looking for the miraculous. Miracles don't make converts. You know that. Listen for the still, small voice. Because that's what the message was here to Elijah. I'm not into the wind. I'm not into the fire. I'm not into the earthquake shaking, all that big stuff. Take the time to listen to the voice of the Lord, that whisper, that gentle, quiet whisper. So here's our sixth point. Spend regular quiet times listening to God's still small voice. It's such a must for all of us. But what are we doing today? We tend to fill our 
our lives with noise. There's always music going. There's always a teaching going. There's always a TV going. There's always this or that. We get in a car. When do we take time just to be quiet before the Lord and say, God, please speak to me. I need a word from you, Lord. You know, as you're reading the Bible, read a verse and just stop and be quiet for a moment. Say, God, what are you saying to me from this verse? What promises are for me to, to put faith into here? What direction are you giving me? Do you know God still speaks today? Through that still small voice. But oftentimes we fill our minds with so many things we don't take time to listen. I think this is what one of the things that what, uh, was speaking to me through this. Because I can be that one where I always seem like I have something going. Verse 14. You're going to see Elijah now is going to sound very similar to what he said in verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I, the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Sounds kind of a prideful statement, especially to repeat it twice to the Lord. Am I right? First of all, let's think about this. Why is he the only one there? He's, he's complaining about being alone. He left his servant. He had a companion with him, and he left him. Now he's complaining about being alone. But here's our seventh point. Don't question God or accuse him of doing wrong. When I read what, what uh, Elijah is saying here twice, here's what I'm reading into it. Lord, I'm working so hard. I'm doing all this stuff for you. And all these people are doing this to you and doing this to you and doing this to you. Now, why is all this happening to me? You should be helping me, Lord. Am I in this all alone? Or don't you care? Don't you care about me? But don't we sometimes feel that way? That we go through difficult things in our life and it's real easy to sometimes question God. God, why is this going on? Why is this happening? But we do it in more of an accusatory way, not like we're seeking out more information. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a strong message for all of us. I, I think about Job. It says in uh, the last chapter, Job chapter 1, you know, after Job's family had been killed through the windstorm and his, his uh, business, his, all of his livestock were taken by bandits. It says that Job got down on his knees he tore his clothes, and he worshiped the Lord. And he says, in all this, he did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. If there was ever a guy who had a terrible day, it was Job. And he didn't accuse God of wrongdoing. Some of you have gone through some horrific stuff, and I'm sorry for that. Some of you are going through it right now, terrible stuff. But remember, our God is a God of love, a God who cares. He wants us to come to him. He wants to help us through our problems. Don't accuse him of, of, of doing the bad. Remember, we live on an earth that is affected by sin. There's still a curse here. There is still bad on this earth. Verse 15, we're just about ready to wrap this story up. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. So now God is going to give Elijah some direction. Not only am I going to whisper some stuff to you, but I'm giving you some direction. Let's look what he says here. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Let's stop there for a moment. You know what you're saying there? I'm about to replace the people that you're running from. Ahab and Jezebel. King and queen of Israel, you're going to anoint their replacement. I'll take care of it. Don't you worry about them, Lord uh, Elijah. He said, you go and you know, anoint Jehu. And then he says here, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel and Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. He said, I'm also bringing a successor to you. So you can pour your life into somebody who's going to take your place. So three things. He's the king over Aram, king over Israel, and your replacement. What is God doing here? 
He's putting him back to work. Go back the way you came from. Don't stay here in this cave. Verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped from the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So God's saying, there's a whole lot more than, than just you around. I got 7,000 people who have not fallen for these false gods of Baal and Israel. I'm perfectly able to take care of all this. You go back to work. So you don't see him condemning him. You don't see God coming down hard on Elijah. He's just saying, go back. Some of you think uh, God could never use you again. Because of your past, what things have happened to you, you think, well, that was in the past. I've, I've blown it too big. No. Look at how Jesus restored Peter after dying him three times. And here you see a case of a prophet that was on the run, and God said, no, I'm not done with you. Go back to work. So here's our last point. Fulfill God's purpose for your life by serving him. Every one of us have a purpose in life. We are not here by mistake. He has a purpose for us. Fulfill it by serving him. The only thing I see in Scripture about the words of God to when we enter into heaven like when we take our last breath, the only thing I see in Scripture are these things that Jesus shared when he said, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's called us to be, a servant. He's calling you to be a servant. Are you serving him? The most miserable people I know are people who are just looking for people to serve them. Don't be that. Have your eyes on other people. Have your eyes on God. In fact, when we're serving people, we're really serving God. So this is one of the important things. If you're down, if you're discouraged, find a place where you can be used, where you can serve. It makes a huge difference. Some of the most, and I'm about ready to pick on the retired people, sorry. Some of the happiest people I know and some of the most miserable people I know are all in the same category of being retired. The happiest people I know who are retired are using this new season of life to serve more. Maybe they're here. There are hundreds of them here serving the, the church. They're doing so much. And it doesn't have to be here in the church. It can be in other nonprofits in the area where they're just using their life on purpose. They're not just golfing and fishing and watching TV all the time. But some of the most miserable people I know are retired. They were so busy. They were ahead of this career. They had all this stuff going on, and now they have nothing. That's not the way we were designed. We were designed to be servants. So if you're, if you're in a place where you feel like, man, I just don't have any purpose. I don't have... Find something. Talk to one of us. doesn't even have to be here in the church. Find something where you can use your life on purpose, and you will start to feel this rising up within you, this sense of accomplishment, this sense of I'm doing this as unto the Lord. This is why I was created. It brings meaning in life, that purpose. As we get ready to pray here, as we think about Elijah, I, I love this little passage, and I'm just taking a part of it from, from a verse in James chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah is just like you and me. He got down after a great victory. Do you? Do you get discouraged? Some of you are discouraged. You're down. You're depressed right now. And in the other services, I did this, and I'm going to do it again. I don't usually do services like what I'm about to do, but I felt this is what God wanted me to do. If today, right now, you're down, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you feel defeated. We want to pray for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm just going to ask if you would stand right at your seat right now. And we're, the rest of us that are seated, seated, we're going to look at for somebody who's standing, and we're just going to put our eyes on them, and we're going to pray. We don't have to move out of our chairs and lay hands on people. But if that's you right now, would you just stand? Yes, I know it's a bit humbling sometimes, but you know what? You need the help. 
You need people to come alongside of you. Don't allow your pride to hold you back. Say, oh, I don't want anybody to see me. Part of the, part of the uh, uh, freedom just comes by standing up because you're like, no, I'm, I'm not too proud to say I need help. And we've all been there at one time or another. Some of you are still trying to decide, should I do this or not? I just want to encourage you. It's an act of faith as you stand. Yes, balcony. Some of you are uh, watching online right now. Maybe you just need to stand there in your living room. Anybody else? You've been feeling so defeated lately. Maybe it was some news you got on your health or your finances. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you have right now. Anybody else? Thank you for those of you standing. And, and, the, and the rest of us, just find somebody with your eyes that you see that you can just, as we pray here in a moment, that you're praying for that person standing up. Let me just lead us in a prayer. Father, I thank you for these that are standing right now. Lord, they're saying they need help. And Lord, I just pray right now that you'd wrap your arms of love around each one of them that you would take that discouragement that they're feeling and that you would replace it with encouragement. That you would help lift them from the despair that they might feel right now, Lord God, but that you would put hope in them. That you would show them that you're for them, and if you're for them, who can be against them? That you've created them to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Lord, I just pray for each of these who are standing right now, Build them up, Lord. Help them to take the principles that we've just talked about in Elijah's life and help them to find that purpose and that, and that uh, strength, that faith. Help them to, to get rid of any fear that they might have right now over any type of news that they've received. We just pray right now for this encouragement, for this strength, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Could I have the rest of you stand up? I want to pray for all of us now. Lord, as we uh, wrap this message up, we just pray for each and every one of us. Lord, I'm sure there's some things from this message that we can apply to our own lives to help us to, to grow in our faith and our walk with you. So, Lord, be with us now. Help us not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And I pray if there are those who are in this audience right now or who are watching online who are not in a right relationship with you, that I pray that right now, Lord, that they would ask that you would be the Lord and Savior of their life. That they would cry out to you. They would say, I need to be back in a right relationship with Jesus. I need to surrender my life to, to the Lord. For Jesus paid for it all. I need my sins forgiven. And I just pray, if that's you, on, online there will be a number where you can call. And if, if you're here in the service, at the end of the service, I'd love to invite you to come down front at the very end so we can pray for you. We can encourage you. We can give you a Bible and some information to help you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pray all this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship with one last song and then I'll be up to dismiss us. Sing, I lift my hands up. I lift my hands up and lay my whole life down. My whole life down before you.
want to thank you all for being here today. Thank you for leaning into God's word. I pray that he spoke to you through something, through his, uh, this, this passage of scripture. If you have any prayer needs at all, I'd love to have you come down to the front. We'll have a prayer team here. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to begin that walk with him, we'd love to pray with you, encourage you in that. Because that's where all this, you can't have what we just talked about without a relationship with the Lord. Because you're still carrying your sin. Your sin will discourage you. Your sin is, is in an unforgiven stage. And so you, you feel that conviction and that condemnation that's upon you because of that. But God wants to lift that. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross. And we want to help you in how to have that relationship with the Lord. If you are here visiting, we're glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you out in the, our commons, which is off here to my right. We have our information center. It's a center ring out there. We'll have a pastor and some volunteers out there. Be glad to answer questions you might have about the church. Just get to know you and, and uh, give you some, just answer questions you might have. And uh, also, uh, one of the ways that we worship the Lord here is with our giving. And so we don't pass the bag here, but we do have boxes in the back where you can give uh, generously to the work of the Lord here. Obviously, you can always give online. And thank you for those of you that do that. So God bless you and have a great rest of your Sunday.